0: I know that all of you who are football fans, men and women alike, will recognize the name Tom Brady. Surely you know the name Tom Brady. Uh, Certainly if you're an NFL football fan, you know his name. He's always been uh, playing for the New England Patriots. I guess here in the end of his career he might be playing for somebody else, but he's always going to be remembered as the quarterback for the New England Patriots. He played there for 20 years. Now, this is pretty amazing. In 20 years, he led the New England Patriots to nine Super Bowl appearances and won six of them. Pretty impressive. Four times he was named the most valuable player in the Super Bowl. Three times he was named the overall season-long most valuable player in the NFL. So, Tom Brady, certainly a great, great football quarterback. That being the case, I was really surprised when I heard someone refer to Tom Brady as the GOAT. The GOAT? Are you kidding me? With all of those wins, with all of that success, he's the GOAT? The idea of a GOAT has always meant someone responsible for a defeat. Someone who you lay the blame at the feet of the goat. You know, we should have won this game and this guy messed up on a key play. He messed up and we lost the game that we should have won and he is the goat. It's his fault. He's the goat. No, that's not what it means now. There's a new meaning to the word goat. It's actually an acronym, G-O-A-T. And it stands for greatest of all time, G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. Tom Brady is the GOAT. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. And I think that's probably true. I mean, I think those of us who are Tennessee fans would like to hold out for Peyton Manning. But I got to tell you, if you're going to be completely just in the matter, Tom Brady's a greater quarterback than even Peyton Manning was. Tom Brady is the GOAT. Greatest of all time. Okay, if you've got that understood, and I hope you do, then we want to play upon that new meaning of the expression goat. And in our lesson this morning, what I'd like to suggest to you is that Jesus is the goat. That Jesus is truly the greatest of all time. Uh, And we want to try to explain that and illustrate that in our lesson this morning. Jesus is the goat. We stop here for just a minute to thank you all for being with us today. We're really grateful for an opportunity to come together to worship God and glad that you're here to be a part of it. We have a number of visitors today and we're so glad that you've come and we want you to come back every time you have a chance. And we always say this and we mean it sincerely if you have questions about what you see or hear as we're assembled together today please ask and we'll try very hard to give a book, chapter, and verse, a thus saith the Lord kind of an answer uh, for what we're doing. We're trying very hard to follow Bible authority in what we teach and practice here at College View. So if you have questions, by all means, ask them. We're glad that you're here today, and we want you to come back. Okay, so how is Jesus the greatest of all time? Well, I want to suggest to you that the scriptures say that Jesus himself claimed to be greater than the temple in Jerusalem. To the Jews, the temple was the most sacred spot on earth. Uh, it was the holiest place in the holy city of Jerusalem. The temple was really special to the Jews. The temple that was there when Jesus lived was actually the third temple that had been built in Jerusalem. You know the first one, and we'll talk about it a little later. The first temple was built by Solomon. It got torn down when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and Judah. And when the exiles came back from Babylon, they built a temple, but it just, was, it just paled by, by comparison, and it wasn't nearly as special. That was the second temple, the one they built when they came back from exile. But the temple that was there when Jesus lived and when Jesus visited the temple in Jerusalem, that temple was actually called Herod's temple. King Herod had built that temple and it was really very, very elaborate. Probably not at all in comparison to Solomon's temple, but it was an elaborate temple. It took 10,000 men... 10 years just to build the retaining wall that would provide for a flat place to build the temple. It took 10 years just to build the retaining wall. Sometimes in the news now you'll hear about people visiting the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall uh, in Jerusalem. That's part of that retaining wall that was built by King Herod's workers in order that they could get this flat platform on which they could build the temple proper that, just that flat spot that they achieved by building that retaining wall would hold 24 full-size football fields. So it was a large area. Uh, and then, of course, on top of that, then the temple was built. Uh, the holy place in Herod's temple was completely covered in gold. Throughout the temple, the walls and the columns and all were made of white marble, and it was a magnificent sight. The historian Josephus gave this description of Herod's temple in Jerusalem. Josephus said, Viewed from without, the sanctuary had everything that could amaze either mind or eyes. Overlaid all around with stout plates of gold, the first rays of the sun reflected so fiercely from like a blaze of fire that those who endeavored to look at it were forced to turn away as if they had looked straight at the sun. To strangers, as they approached, it seemed in the distance like a mountain covered with snow, for any part not covered with gold was dazzling white marble. And so it was really an amazing place. But having said all of that about the temple, notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 6. I say to you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Isn't that amazing? Just as the Jews held the temple in such awe and respect, we ought to view Jesus with that sort of awe and respect and even more so. Jesus is greater than the temple. And so here we just make a very simple observation. When you think of the kind of respect and awe that the Jews had for the temple in Jerusalem, our feelings toward Jesus ought to be that much and greater. He is greater than the temple. I want to suggest to you that Jesus said he was greater than the prophet Jonah. All of us know the story of Jonah. Our little children study the story of Jonah in their Bible classes. Uh, Jonah, probably one of the best known of the prophets of the Old Testament time. You remember that Jonah was sent to Nineveh. Uh, He didn't want to go. Uh, That's why he headed in a different direction and ended up being swallowed by the great fish. He ultimately got to Nineveh, though. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was the powerhouse of the day. They were the big boy on the block. But they were a horribly brutal people. And you can read historical accounts about how they tortured and oppressed the peoples that they conquered. They were just a horrible, bloody, oppressive people. Jonah was sent there. And amazingly, the whole city repented at the preaching of Jonah. I'm going to tell you, that's pretty significant, right? What if you sent a preacher into a city, maybe not a city as great as Nineveh. What if you sent a preacher into the city of Columbia, Tennessee today? And the whole city repented at the preaching of this preacher. You say, that preacher done an awesome job. Jonah did an awesome job. The city of Nineveh repented at his preaching. But in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Jesus is greater than Jonah. Think about that. Just compare the response. Jonah got a whole city to repent. But for nearly 2,000 years, the preaching of Jesus had brought people all over the world to repentance. And therefore, we would agree and have to acknowledge what Jesus claimed, that he is greater than the prophet Jonah, simply in regards to how people have been led to repentance. Jesus is the goat understand we're using that in the new sense he's not to be blamed he's to be lauded he's the greatest of all time jesus is greater than solomon by many estimates solomon was the richest person to ever live in the history of the world now you can you can you can read after some who might quibble that but i think lots of estimates have solomon as the richest person who ever lived i read a i read a Uh, an estimate recently that suggested Solomon's wealth was on the order of $2.1 trillion of today's money. T with a T, trillion. $2.1 trillion is the estimated wealth of Solomon. Now, if you want to compare that, the richest man in the world today apparently is this Jeff Bezos who owns Amazon. He's getting richer by the day, but a recent estimate of Jeff Bezos' wealth, 113 billion. Well, 113 billion is plenty of money. I think it probably lasts a lifetime, don't you? But Solomon, if the estimates are right, Solomon was on the order of 20 times more wealthy than Jeff Bezos. Can you imagine that? Incredibly wealthy. But he wasn't only known for his wealth, he was also known for his great wisdom. In our Bible, Solomon is credited with most of the book of Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, and the book of Ecclesiastes. He even wrote a couple of the Psalms. Solomon was very wise. And, of course, he he was able to perform incredible construction feats We said earlier that that first temple in Jerusalem was built by Solomon and it was off the chart in regards to its magnificence. Probably can't even be adequately described. It is known as one of the wonders of the ancient world, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. But having said that, notice what we read in Matthew 12 verse 42. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this... Just stop there for a minute. Who's the queen of the south? In the Old Testament, we call her the queen of Sheba. She was the one who came... She had heard about Solomon, remember? And she came to see Solomon because she couldn't believe what she was hearing. She She just doubted that it could possibly be true how this king Solomon was being described. She just couldn't believe it. So she came, and when she saw all of his wealth and wisdom. Remember the expression that she used? The half has not been told. We still use that expression, don't we? The half has not been told. She couldn't believe what she'd heard, but when she got there and actually saw it, she said, the half has not been told. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? A lowly carpenter's son from Nazareth is greater than the richest man who ever lived in the history of the world. is that amazing? And yet we believe it to be true, don't we? Jesus is greater than Solomon. We also read that He's greater than Jacob. We know the other name of Jacob is Israel. And of course, Jacob or Israel was the father of the ultimately the father of the ten tribes of Israel. And, and to the Jews, of course, he held a very special revered place. But look at the exchange that Tom read for us earlier in John chapter 4 when Jesus was engaging the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, you get the picture, they're there at a physical well. This is a place where you went to draw water. The woman had come there for that purpose, to draw water and Jesus asked her to draw him some water. And in the course of that then, Jesus was able to initiate a discussion of spiritual things. John chapter 4, verse 10, beginning, Jesus answered to her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman said to him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So here the Samaritan woman asked a question, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well. This well has been here for centuries. People, generation after generation, has come to this very place and drawn water out of the very same well that Jacob drank from. Are you greater than Jacob? And Jesus' answer is, obviously, yes. Greater than Jacob. Because although Jacob could give a very reliable source of physical water to sustain physical life, Jesus said, I'm able to give water that will spring up into eternal life. And so he definitely is greater than the great patriarch Jacob. If you wanted to take that back a step further, a couple of steps further, so Jacob's father was Isaac. Isaac's father was the great patriarch Abraham. And of course, Abraham, a great man of faith, Still held up to us today, even in the New Testament Scriptures, as a great person of faith. Abraham was a great man, but Jesus was greater, is greater, than even the amazing patriarch Abraham. In John chapter 8, uh, we we notice here uh, that it's pointed out that Abraham... Died physically. So read this. uh, In John 8, verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, Jesus speaking, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? So notice, are you Greater than our father Abraham. He died. And you're saying that it's possible for some that you could make it so someone would never taste of death? How can you say that? Uh, you say that you can make it so people will never die? Abraham, even our father Abraham couldn't do that. Are you greater than Abraham? Of course, Jesus was speaking about eternal life, wasn't he? As that text goes on in verse 56. Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he could see or would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus they're claiming his eternal existence as the only begotten son of God. He is deity. That that phrase, I am, we know is a special one denoting deity. So Abraham was great, great patriarch, great man of faith. He's held up as an example to us of how our faith ought to obediently serve God. And yet, when the Jews said, are you greater than him? Jesus said, yes. In fact, he said, I preexisted him. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus, the greatest of all time. Jesus was greater than the priest that served under the Old Testament system. You know, the whole Old Testament system of worship, as you're well aware, was really dependent upon the role of the priests, uh, the the not only the whole priestly class, but especially the high priest. So the, the whole system depended upon the priest. And, and not everybody could be a priest. You couldn't just say, well, I think I'll be a priest. I think, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a priest. No, not everybody could do that. Not everybody could say that. There were special requirements. They were actual birth requirements. You had to be born into a, a situation where you might qualify to serve as a priest And so the priests were special and specially qualified to serve. And and they did serve. And that whole system depended upon their service. But they were all just men. They were all fallible men. Jesus, our perfect priest, is contrasted with those priests in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 7, beginning verse 26, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens who does not need daily like those priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as priests who are weak but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. So notice, these men as high priests are weak That's the Old Testament system. Uh, It served for a long time, but it wasn't wasn't ideal. Because the ones serving as priests, the the go-betweens, the intermediaries, they themselves were fallible men. They had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. But not Jesus. He's made perfect forever. Our high priest. So, that's something to think about, isn't it? Of all those times under the Old Testament law of Moses, when the children of Israel were serving under that law... They had their priests, but we have a greater priest than theirs. We have the greatest priest of all time, Jesus made perfect forever. Finally, let me suggest to you that Jesus is greater than the angels. There's a lot of curiosity, a lot of interest in angels. We get questions fairly often about angels and who what they do and what is their role. There's a particular interest in in the idea of guardian angels. And even some well-known movies through the years have been based upon the idea of a guardian angel watching over someone. And so there's a a real interest in angels. But Jesus is greater than any of the angels. In Hebrews chapter 1, in a longer text, and we don't have time for all of that text this morning, but in a long text... The Hebrew writer compares Jesus to the angels. He says he's greater. In Hebrews chapter 1, beginning verse 3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And then really there's a longer comparison in that text that we we won't consider uh, here. But simply to point out, That is amazing as angels are. Jesus is greater than all the host of angels. So Jesus is the goat. Jesus is the greatest of all time. We've looked at a number of things from the scriptures in which it indicates, it points out his superiority and I think those are all important. What is the final bottom line application of this then? If Jesus is the greatest of all time, And I think it's confirmably, obviously true that he is. Then what should be our response to that? How should we react to the one who is the goat, the greatest of all time? Well, I think obviously we should submit in humble obedience, right? We should do his will. Why would we not? If he is, as we have shown this morning, the greatest of all time, why would not... Why would we not want to do what He instructs us to do? To me, it's just logical. It's just reasonable. Common sense indicates that we should. If you've not done that this morning, we would encourage you to make that decision. Upon hearing God's truth and believing it, will you repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, and be baptized for the remission of sins? We'd be anxious to assist you in your obedience or study with you more if you need that. Let us know. If you're a Christian already... You once named the name of this greatest of all time. But if you've slipped back and not been faithfully serving in his kingdom, we beg you to come back by repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.